0: Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Wednesday edition of Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd, my co-host as always, Canucks insider Thomas Drance, who also covers the team for the Athletic Canucks Talk, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota All-Star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. And of course, we are coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. Another game day. Yeah, we, we've we been talking so much about everything that might happen off the ice. It's another game day for the Vancouver Canucks. They're in San Jose. They play the Sharks at 730 tonight. A lot on the line in this one, Drancer. A lot on the line in this one. Chance for another three-game win streak. And how about this? The Canucks could be tied. For the final playoff spot in the Western Conference after tonight. Now, not just that, Drancer. Tied with the defending Stanley Cup champion, Colorado Avalanche. Wow. That requires a lot to happen, right? The Canucks need to win. Yes. The Canucks need to win. They still
1: wouldn't be tied because they're behind in regulation victories. Um, and both Calgary and Colorado need to lose to the Bruins. So Colorado may well lose to Lose in regulation. Right. Oh, yeah. they need to lose in regulation for them to be tied. Yeah, cuz Calgary and Colorado both have 27 points. Right, okay. How many okay, how many regulation wins do the Canucks have? 8 and the Avs have 9? The Avs
0: have 10. So oh, okay. So they still, still wouldn't be tied. But
1: they'd be tied in points. Okay, but they still wouldn't <laughs> be tied. Like if you cut the pie exactly. in just this way, you get a small slice of only rhubarb. It's like, yeah, but it's still a more- strawberry rhubarb pie. No, it's a rhubarb pie if I cut it like this. No, it's not. Shout out to strawberry strawberry rhubarb pie. pie, Delightful. Incredible. My favorite type of pie.
0: Incredible. I know. I'm I'm not going to lie. My favorite type. We used to grow rhubarb in my backyard when I was growing up, and it was incredible. It was amazing. Anyways, (laughs) that's just a nice memory you brought up for me, Trancer. I'm glad. Positive positive associations. Positive vibes here on a Wednesday. I do enjoy it, though. Well, we need some positive vibes. The more tenuous I can make, the connection to the playoff chase... (laughs) The more it annoys
1: you, right? So no, but I mean, I mean, if two teams lose and the Canucks win, then they would be tied in points by two teams that are clearly better and have games in hand, but not really because those teams also hold the tiebreaker. Yes,
0: those teams also hold the tiebreaker. So what are we? So there they, you go, big game. I big mean, game
1: tonight. I mean, if if everything goes right for the Canucks, they could can move into tenth in the West by point percentage, and that's well, not, actually, no, actually, that's not, not, not even by true. Percentage so by points. So the what I mean, who cares? Like, who cares? They're, they're, they're All you can do tonight is take care of a team you gotta take care of, right? I mean, this Sharks team's bad. Legitimately bad. The Canucks are not. The Canucks are not. I know people say I'm negative, but listen to that. The Canucks are not a bad team. They are not a bad team. They're a flawed team. They're also not good, but they're not bad, okay? This Canucks team has a lot of firepower. With Hoglander and Miller on Horvat's flanks, they legitimately have a top six that can control play. Yeah, there's some question marks on the back end. Yeah, there's some question <laughs> Wait, marks in the net. I'll be honest with you, I have significant questions about the bottom six. I think this team's depth. I don't know how this happens every year. Every year we come into the season and people like put the Canucks forward group on paper and are like, oh boy. And then you get to the meat of the season and it's like Sheldon dries. <laughs> Is your third line center and Yeah, I mean it's not good. Like their depth is not good. It's fine. There's some players I like who are playing well. Curtis Lazar, Dakota Joshua, Neil Zaman, I have time for all of them. Um Connor Garland, it goes without saying, I like a lot. Kuzmenko I like a lot. But like the you look at that bottom six as a group and it's like what is it? Bottom ten? The depth is it w- bottom ten? I don't know, with Kuzmenko and Garland there? Maybe not in terms of talent, but Kuzmenko it, and Garland with Sheldon Dries in the middle. Like, you know, all due respect to a guy who I think is a suitable sort of like fourteenth forward for an organization. Worked works hard. There is some skill there on the power play. Obviously, he's dominant in the American League. I don't even think he's a center in the NHL. I like if you were telling me that Dries is your uh, is a winger on your fourth line who brings like speed and energy and can maybe pitch in here and there, right? Like if you are talking about. Dries, Joshua Amon. I'm like, hey, that's a totally good fourth line. But if you're telling me Dries is a third line center, my
0: ch- my tune changes, and I don't think that's unreasonable. This text comes in. It's called "Thinking Miller is a center when he's not," right? And your question about how the forward depth, no, but and this forward happens talent gets every year. Yeah, but this year specifically, it was about that. Okay, sure, hundred percent, it was about that. Well, that right? was
1: part of it. That was part of it. But it happens every year, right? Like, what? Why did it happen last year?
0: Yeah, I don't know.
1: You know, like, people were literally like, this is the deepest the Canucks forward group has been since 2011. It's like, no, it's not. And then you go into the season, and it's like, you end up playing, you know, Alex Chason's playing top-line minutes at the end of the year, and I, I don't know, ho Lamico's your third-line center. I mean, things get m- muddy really fast, it seems, every year with this team. Anyway, nonetheless, this Canucks team, imposing top six, power plays fastball, Some questions in net now, I think, without Demko. Some questions on the back end, obviously. Although, Bear has stabilized a fair bit. In my view, anyway.
0: They're still going to beat the Sharks. They should. The Sharks have... I don't know if it's quietly or not quietly, but they have the second worst points percentage in the NHL wow. after the Anaheim Ducks. It, it is quietly because they pl- they've played so they've many played a more ton of games, games so they appear realize. on the standings page higher up than that. But if you do it by points percentage, it's very very dire, lower than Chicago, lower than Arizona, lower than Columbus, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Canucks, by the way, minus one twenty on the money line, so that is a fade from Vegas. That is a fade, minus one twenty against the San
0: Jose Sharks. Whew. Well, look, I mean, we talked about it yesterday. They've played at home, and even you go back to the Sharks, the, yeah. they've played a bunch of not very good teams to basically draw us to overtime. Oh, I think recently. I think it's that Vegas is
1: big fans of Thatcher Demko. You know, all the bookmakers, right? They're based in Las Vegas. They're they're Golden Knights fans. They saw the bubble. <laughs> they're they're traumatized. Like all season I've been like, man, the Canucks feel like they're getting a lot of respect here. The Canucks are getting a lot of respect here. I think the answer now that I see them getting faded, I like, I think minus 120, loath as I am to say it, I think that's great value. Like I think that's great value. I think the sharks are bad, outright bad. And I think the Canucks are just flawed. But what it tells me is that all of a sudden the flip without Demco, from me being like, huh, feels like a lot of respect for the Canucks to, wow, that's not nearly enough respect for the Canucks, coincides with one person's departure. Right? Uh, the bookmakers clearly big Demco believers. As this market should be, by the way, despite the fact that he's had a slow start.
0: I will say the Sharks, if you look at some of the possession numbers, actually don't grade out as terribly as you might expect. Their goals for numbers at 5-on-5 five five are bad, but if you look at like sh- scoring chances, expected goals, shot attempts, they're actually better than the Canucks in those categories. Now, no, take no, no, that no, with th- a grain of salt. No, no, no. They've got...
1: So, here's what they've got. They've got some interesting defensemen, right? You've got Carlson, who's obviously throwing fireballs. You've got a top line that controls play really well in in Hurdle and Meyer. Um, you know, there's some other defensemen on their team that I actually quite like too. Um, uh, I like Ferraro, <laughs> not Ray. I think it's Ben. Is it what's his name? Hold on, I'll look it up. Thank here. you. I like him though. Um, Mario, Mario yes. Ferraro. Yes, um, I, I, they, they've got some nice pieces. The Sharks' profile is one of those teams that's like you're playing structurally sound. But you don't have a pointy end on your weapon, you know. You're like you're like playing with a club as opposed to a spear, so you can't puncture opponents as efficiently as they can puncture you. The Canucks are kind of the opposite, right? They're like a, a bl- like a dagger, right? They're like all pointy end. The Sharks are playing like good structural hockey, but don't can't finish. Their goaltending's not great, although Reimer's playing really well. So. You sort of end up like the, the the Leafs in the Babcock year, the first Babcock year where they ended up getting Austin Matthews were like this. Right. Mm. Where it's like every game they give you an honest effort, every game they're in it late, you know, and then they lose <laughs> because they don't have they have too many guys. They have too many Noah Gregor types who, by the way, again, I like Noah Greger wow. a lot. That must have hurt. That must have hurt to say that. Well, you know what I'm saying? Yes, they, they have too it. many guys who you would not be able to pick out as a member of the Sharks versus a member of the Phillies rotation. And so you end up like this. Now, the th- good thing for the Sharks is graph some elite talent onto a group that plays structurally sound and you can begin to take off pretty fast, right? Like that's those are the teams that profile as teams that can level up really really quickly. So, there's good news for the Sharks over the long haul despite the fact that their books are polluted for many years to come. However, tonight I think they're overmatched against a Canucks team that's just going to be able to pick apart their goaltending um, and their defense,
0: even if the Sharks outshoot them. Uh, looking ahead to tonight's game, and we got some lineup notes. The uh, team has done their morning skate down in San Jose. 650, 650, by the way, is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Now, you were talking about Sheldon Dries as the third line center. That's not going to be the case tonight, by all indications. And this is courtesy of uh, Post Media's Ben Kuzma, who posted the lines on Twitter. So, top six, as you laid it out, right? Horvat with Miller and Hoaglander, Pedersen, Mikheyev, and Besser. That's what really matters. Jack Stanika gets the chance to play third-line center between Andre Kuzmenko and Connor Garland. I like that. And then Dakota Joshua is back in the lineup as well, so you've got the familiar Joshua-Oman-Lazar trio on your quote-unquote fourth line. I like Stunika at center as well. He's made noticeable plays both of the last two games, right? Where you look at it and say, hey, all right, that there's a little something there. We, You know, he's another guy who's come over and... He's been out with injury for part of it since he's uh, since he's come to the team, so he hasn't had a chance to really make his mark. But you look at those plays, and for a guy who's going to feature in the bottom six, I think he's earned more of a shot. He's earned a chance to at least see – I think this is going to be the first time he's actually lining up at center for the team as well. No. Okay. He played
1: one game at center. Okay. His very first Canucks game – so this was going to be my point. His very first Canucks game, he comes in and he plays third-line center, and it's like, the Canucks are taking a look at this experiment right off the hop. And that was it. And then he's played wing since then. Pedro's used him exclusively at wing. Okay, great. Yeah. No, you got, look, maybe he's a winger. There's a lot of people that aren't convinced that he has the speed or the sort of like slow processing F3 skill set to be a really effective NHL centerman, right? A- among the scouts that I talked to, this was sort of the the word on him when the Canucks acquired, acquired him, was like, plays a direct style, um, you know, works really hard has some offensive game, like has more offensive upside than it's looked in the, looked like in the NHL to this point. He used to be an incredibly creative player in junior. But the question is, does his speed do, do his feet and does his brain play in the middle? Or is he better served as a winger, just going full tilt and using his size and just like overall aggression to his favor on the wall? That's the big question. I mean, what are we doing at this point? Take twenty games, find out. Oh my gosh! Yeah, you have to take twenty games. Like if 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 Jacks Stu, Stud Nika can be a third line center for you, like who's he's right he's
0: right handed. That's an incredible find. If he's oh. a legit third line center, you feel good. No, and no, you're, no, you're not looking at it saying, oh man, we really need to fix that third line center. Forget spot.
1: legit. If he's playable, right? Like if he's below average as a third line center, making eight hundred k again next season,
0: found money, huge win. And that comes back to the kind of overarching discussion we've been having a lot this week of managing the value of your players and trying to do what you can to increase their value in the future versus just icing the lineup that you think is going to give you the best chance to win tonight. Now. This in Bruce Boudreau's eyes, maybe this checks both of those boxes, right? Like, obviously, he's doing it for a reason. I don't think he's been necessarily overly enamored with Sheldon Dry's play. Certainly not when you look at the minutes that that unit has been getting. So it makes I'm not surprised to see. I'm a little surprised, but Sheldon
1: Dry's. You can hear it when Bruce Boudreau talks about him. He's his son. You can tell. Like, there's no. Like a, it's yes. not like that.
0: It's not like the mott Lamico Highmore line though, where it was just like effusive praise. No, uh, an effusive usage. Then no, that's Niels Haman's line.
1: Yes but the but the dries thing is real
0: he always has to caption it with like i love my minor league centerman it's like okay but i think that's <laughs> him giving a caveat to then less than effusive praise no, you know what I, I mean i don't know man i'm just saying the minutes usage it doesn't surprise me now no, i was no cur- it's, I, it's the right call they have to yeah. this is the sort of thing
1: like there are like six boxes that you should be checking over the balance of the season And, you know, for me, making the playoffs is like box nine. You know, it's like, who cares? You're not, you know, first of all, you're not, you're very unlikely to make it. Second, it's not, it shouldn't be as big a priority to this club as like making sure Vasily Podkolzin is in a place where he's going to be an impact top nine guy for you next year. Right. Or finding out if Jack Rathbone can be an everyday NHL player now. Um, or or at least pumping his value to the point where you can get something for him if you don't believe he can. You know, Niels Hoaglander, same thing, right? Getting him up and running. Uh, and and also, probably, like, one thing about Hoaglander, if he's going to spend a ton of time on the top line, which the team should be doing, I mean, it works better than anything else they've tried in terms of a top-six configuration, like, maybe start contract talks with him soon? Yeah. You know, I mean... Playing with Miller and Horvat feels like a plum assignment for an RFA in a contract year. And he doesn't even have to hit a, hit that high a level. Like, if he hits 25 to 30 points this year and plays 70 games, then you're talking about a $2.5 million player. Like, like, you know, I mean, if he gets 40, you're talking about a $3.5 million player. Like, this gets dicey fast for a guy whose value to your team has to be that he's like two, two and a half. So, yeah, I mean... I want to see this team operate with a real cup window that might open in two, three years if you nail everything in mind. Like, foremost in mind. I mean, there's a suspicion that I have. I've been thinking about this a lot. A creeping suspicion Mm -hmm. that may already be baked in, but that I'm hopeful is not still. That the Hughes, Pedersen, Demko core group has already effectively had their statistical primes wasted. Like, that that's already done I think I think to me that's the big question that you have to ask yourself like everything else we talk about feels like window dressing that to me is the question that this management group and then this fan base by extension needs to grapple with and I think it's such a hard thing to process because it feels like no time has passed at all since the pandemic sort of ended that 2019 20 season and the club went on that run in the bubble but it was three years ago like this, three seasons since then, you know these guys are now getting up there. Pedersen's got one year left on his bridge deal after this one. Like you're, you're getting to a point where their statistical primes are, the runway short on them now. The runway short on them now. This this it's already sort of, you, you've certainly wasted a lot of time, but have you wasted the chance for them to be the best players on the next great Canucks team? That to me is the big question. I don't know that it's baked in just See, yet.
0: I I don't think so.
1: Now, well, and if I, you don't think so, then doesn't that justify, in some ways, staying the course as opposed to
0: no? Because this is what I—the point I have been making about rebuilding does not require jettisoning those players. I think you can rebuild with the goal of building the next great team around and do it in those two, players. Three years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't that's, disagree. That 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 would be the course I would take because then I think when once you talk about potentially moving on from an Elias Pedersen, then the question of, well, how can you guarantee you're going to get a player as good as him in the next five years becomes really valid. Pressing, yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that's a very, yeah, once you have Elias Pedersen, you hold on to him. You hold on to him and try to make it work as long as you can. The statistical prime thing, look, the numbers are there, right? You're right about what what years are their offensive production statistical prime. It doesn't mean you can't be an incredibly valuable player after that. Right, and so let's. What what would you say the the statistical prime offensively for players is like twenty two to twenty six. Twenty two to twenty six, you can still be the best forward on a Stanley Cup team from twenty seven to twenty nine. Hundred percent, you can. One hundred percent, you can. Yeah, you can. You can,
1: but you better have a guy carrying the water for you who's 24 sure you better, you better have, have you gotta like, find those other pieces like you're too. right you're right you can win a cup if kucherov's your best player or if ryan o'reilly's your best player but you better have a robert thomas or a brain point yep like you better have that next guy up you know you, you i mean mckinnon's what 26 27 yeah he was 26 last year 26 so, so just, he was at the very yeah. end of his statistical prime so that's uh, another one um you know obviously crosby and malkin won a bunch but that's Those guys are at such a high level. Crosby is... If you're Hall of Fame bound to, you know, it's not that you've extended... Like, people talk about the Sedin's prime coming late in their careers. They weren't in their primes. They just had extended primes because of how great they were. They hit higher heights after their statistical prime had ended because of how, partly because of how great they were but partly also because the teams that they were on in their
0: statistical prime underused them and weren't good enough to play their game. And that's also we should point out here, we're when you talk about statistical prime, that's the aggregate of aggregate. basically every player. No, obviously There's always going to be fluctuations. Like guys who peak at Outlines. different times. Guys who peak early, yep. guys
1: who peak late, guys, or guys who extend and get better. I mean, Bo Horvat scoring this year, at the age of 27 is a really interesting example for me, particularly because it's the culmination of sort of three years where his shooting percentage has gone up. Like we're now at a point where Bo Horvat's been well above his career shooting levels for like 150 games now. So do I think Bo Horvat's gonna end the year shooting 20%? No. Do I think he's gonna end the year shooting like 15, 16, like, something like, like two that? Standard deviations above his career at shooting clip? I do. And you know why? Horvat Horvat might be outside his statistical prime, but he's a guy with an elite work rate. He's a guy who thinks really long yeah. and hard about his craft and has put in a ton of work to get better, and that's and that's paying off. But not that that type of work rate is the exception; it's that pulling it off sustainably is the exception. Oh, it's really hard
0: to do, and because you're also you're putting in that work to get better, but you're fighting your body is getting older at the same time, mm. right? So you have to not just get a little bit better, you have to get enough better to offset the physical decline that happens yeah. and all the uh, the wear and tear that comes on your body playing hockey. But looking at Elias Pettersson, so he just turned 24, right? This is his age 24 season. And he's on pace for 100 points. That could be his best statistical season of his career. That could be this high watermark for point oh. production. It could. 100 points. There's Easily. no doubt about it. Easily. No doubt about it. But having said that... What a waste. If in... I agree. If in three Painful. years... He's an 85 point player and still elite as a two-way play driver, a defensive uh, an elite defensive center, a penalty killer, all that. Well, that can still be the best player on a Stanley Cup team, right? He can still be extremely impactful. It's not it, it it's probably not going to be at, you know, scoring 110 points because you know, this statistical prime is a real phenomenon what you're talking about, but I don't think it means he can't be the guy on a Stanley Cup. Okay. Team. And when you talk about, you know, okay, if you have Kucherov or Ryan O'Reilly, you need the the next wave of guys. That's why it's so important to start the process now. Right. So you get those next waves of wave of guys that can support yeah, so the Witherspoon that can support Quinn Hughes right. when they're on, you know, getting closer to 30. Well,
1: especially because what's Oliver ekman Larson going to look like that season, right? At 34 and JT Miller at 32, right? And I mean that's yeah. that's sort of you got to find ways to offset that. Too. That's sort of why this organization's short-term approach, right? Their desperation to make the playoffs every year uh, has sort of harmed their long-term prospects, right? I, I don't think that's a novel take or even a hot one. It's a lukewarm at best. So yeah, I mean, for me, that's the key question you got to ask yourself, right? Is have has this project centered around these three guys in particular already been wasted? And if the answer is no, as you say, and I think you make a compelling case, right? Like, yeah, I want to be very clear. I tend to think that you may have to consider starting over just because if you had a decent prospect system or if you had like upcoming cap flexibility or if you even had contracts that you could move relatively easily for like good returns I think you could reset the decks around them in, in two, three years. I just think that it's going to be instead two years of just tearing down to get to a point where you have to build it back up, and by the time that's done, Pedersen's going to be 27-28. Like, you're going to need another guy to be that guy, and Petterson can maybe be your second-line center by then. It's a risk. There's no doubt about it. There's no, risk I, is attached to it, and that, that's sort of—unfortunately, that's my lean. Like, that's my lean, and that's why I've started sort of— pretty clearly calling for more dramatic change than i think i think the organization is closer to your view Mm -hmm. and i don't think that's unreasonable right like i think what i think but i'm not dogmatic about it yeah right like it's not clear enough that i'm right uh for me to be like pounding the table the way i did about trading luke Shen yesterday like this is one where people can reasonably disagree in my view um but i also think my view of it shouldn't like I'm sure some people who s- who would agree with you would think my view is so extreme as to be not taken seriously, and they that's incorrect like this is a real question that this organization should be asking themselves based on the narrow fjord they've navigated their <laughs> this cruiser this ship of state into like do they have room to turn around is a re- very reasonable question based on the Raw geometry of the facts.
0: Well, and that's why, you know, we've gotten pushback when we've talked about a rebuild from people about well, are you wasting your more years of Elias Pedersen and Quinn Hughes? To me, it's about maximizing well, from this point on the potential they have. It's like right? it's, it's a- about starting the process <laughs> to put a legit team around them. Yeah. You don't want to you don't want to waste prime years of Quinn Hughes and Elias
1: Petterson's primes. That would be annoying. <laughs> yeah, it
0: sure would It sure would agreed <laughs> let's That's, let's stop doing that. Please. let's really try to stop doing that that again, I don't think it's you shouldn't look at it as giving up on that core. you should look at it as doing right by them like finally starting to try to do right by them and say okay, we're gonna do it for real. We're gonna give you a chance to be the best player on on a Stanley Cup contending team here and I just think you have to take certain again maybe as you said maybe it's not extreme maybe it's not radical. I, I think it's getting close to there. Like when you talk about Bo Horvat, that's a pretty radical move to me. What do you mean? Trading Bo Horvat. That's a pretty extreme move. Even though he's a pending UFA, no, that's still an ex- extreme move. Extending him is a, is an extreme move. No, I don't mean extreme as in a pejorative sense. I just mean it's like outside the normal course of business for an NHL team.
1: Well, sure. Players you know like I mean? Bo
0: Horvat don't usually hit unrestricted free agency. So you we
1: definitely ha- haven't seen a center of that quality move as a rental in the last seven years. Like, I can't think of the last time... No, a center of that quality got moved at the deadline.
0: Absolutely not. Th- those players don't move. No, so it's again. I to me, that's a pretty extreme move. It's not a complete teardown. It's not a scorched earth teardown. But it's, it's a step it's, back. It's, it's it is absolutely a step <laughs> back, which is something you got to do. So I agree. With, I agree with that part. I mean, I don't. Or do you? Oh, a step back. Yeah. No, hundred no, percent.
1: But do you have to trade Bohorvat? If you think that this team can be good in three
0: years, so. Won't he be? Th- he'll be th- what thirty one? Here's here w- here's what here is what would have to happen, I think, for me to get on board with the Horvat extension. I mean, I think realistically, you got to do the J T. Miller trade, and I just don't see any way that's happening. It's an either or. I don't think you can lock into all of those guys and bring them back and expect well, things to get better.
1: Sixteen million for those two, and then and then what? Another another ten to twelve for for yeah. Patterson. If he's a 100-point player, those extension talks are going to be... So, eye-popping. Like, like Ren and Stimpy <laughs>
0: level eye-popping. Yeah, like, I agree with you. There's a chance that if the cap sheet was cleaner, you could sign Bo Horvat and have him be a real contributor to whatever, you know, the quote-unquote next great Canucks team. It's just the cap sheet is not clean. It's not even close to clean. And you're not just forfeiting the cap space that you're giving to Bo Horvat. You're also forfeiting whatever return you're going to get back no, from. The, So the, I just – The cap sheet is encased in
1: cement like a nuclear zone, you know, like uh, <laughs> <laughs> like the like the lands around the nuclear plant in Chernobyl. Hey, let's uh, let's go to break. We'll we keep will this go to discussion break. We going. got
0: lots of good texts coming in. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. More on the other side. It is Canucks stock, Sportsnet 650 Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650 on a Canucks game day. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance live from the Kintech studio. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative is at Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at dumbarlumber.com. Lots of reaction coming in. We are talking about as you brought up the kind of creeping fear that you have or creeping sensation that you have that uh, it's possible that it might not be you might not be able to build a Stanley Cup team around Elias Pedersen and Quinn Hughes i would call at this it a point. valid concern
1: sure i would call it a valid concern i think you have to view this holistically right like just like the um what is it the like knee bones connected to the <laughs> shin bone sure yeah like that right like it's like that right it's like It's just like that. It's just like that. Truly, right? It's like your cap space is connected to the amount of talent you have on your roster, which is connected to the assets you have to trade, which is connected to the quality of your prospect profile or or, or prospect pipeline. Mm -hmm. Right? So it's like it's all connected. And, you know, Vancouver lacks the ability right now to contend. That we can agree on, surely. No one's uh, calling this team a contender, right? I certainly agree on that. Let us know in the 650-650 inbox if you truly believe this team is a contender, and we'll laugh. <laughs> no, I'm just you, You'll laugh. I'm just I won't. No, no, we'll read your text, maybe. I don't know. Maybe we won't. We'll if it's a good argument. If you can make a compelling case, we'll certainly read your sure. text. Because I, I, I don't think you can. Surely we agree this team's not a contender. This team doesn't have cap space. We know that much, right? You're looking at... 14 to 17 million, depending on how much the cap goes up this offseason. And that's with Horvat, Kuzmenko, Bear, Dermott, and Hoaglander to re sign. And that's with only Tyler Myers among healthy right D signed. Right? Because Pullman, you know, is sort of an unknown quantity can't, at this can't point. Can't really
0: factor into your plans at this point.
1: Shen Burroughs, Bear. So. $14 million to sign two guys on pace for 70-plus points, one guy on pace for 60-plus goals, and also rebuild your entire defense. It's not a lot of space, Jamie. No. This team's very likely to be worse next season. And then you've got the Pedersen raise uh, to account for, plus whatever Pod Colson manages to earn. Right? If this team's going to be good. <laughs> you're hoping that Pod Colson stakes a claim to a $2.5 million, $3 million dollar, million dollar second contract at minimum, at minimum. At least then you'll have some expiring money coming off, right? At least then Pearson and Myers create $10 million. That creates some space. But man, it is not going to be simple. It is not going to be simple, particularly because some of that expiring space presumably gets taken up by new commitments that this club will have to make to the likes of Kuzmenko, to the likes of Ethan Bear. There's a real chance, because of what I'm talking about, that this is the best team that we ever see this Canucks organization surround Hughes and Petterson with in their twenties. Like that's that's not that's not even just a valid concern. That's like it's going to take a lot of really good work to get both better and cheaper to make that not true. That's baked in. And that's what that's what sort of this all stems from. This is, this is where this take stems from, is, is sort of that recognition. Do you disagree with any of
0: that? Where would you poke holes? Well, I... So you said it was that at least it's a possibility, but this is the best team they have around them in their 20s. I think it's a likelihood. I wouldn't... It's so hard to predict five, six years out.
1: No, but it's not when it comes to cap space. Like, you need to rebuild a blue line with no money? I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it's a likelihood, for sure. Structurally, that's how they're set up. Like that's how all in all in all in swings work. Once, yeah. once they made the Oliver Ekman larsen trade, they sort of opened up a two year window. Once they extended J T. Miller, you sort of knew. Well, especially with honestly, this window was kind of set in stone once you made the first J T. Miller trade. Once you made that, it was like okay, you've got this five years where Miller and Horvat are going to be five and five million dollar players, right? And really, it was a three year window that sort of culminated with the expiry of Pedersen and Besser's entry level. Or, uh, sorry, Pedersen and Hughes' entry mm-hmm. level deals. Like that was kind of that was kind of the window, right? It dovetailed with um, three year deal for Brock, or two two years left on Pedersen and Hughes, three years for Brock, four for Bo Horvat and Miller at that point. That was sort of. Your window and now you're in new this is kind of the last year of that logic that's kind of this is the last year where you add four guys pp1 guys you know regular 30 goal scoring potential guys making you know an amount you can live with right seven or less and next year that logic flips and then the year after it gets even steeper uh I don't know, man. That's like, no, tough. It's I'm a bad not, spot. I'm not trying to do the like. I'm not trying to do the like global warming <laughs> alarm bell ringing. But this is where this team is at. I think it's really important we grapple with it honestly. I hope the organization is grappling with it honestly, because this is the problem.
0: There's a lot of good texts coming in with sarcastic answers to your make an argument that the Canucks are a oh, contender. I love it. Let's do that. Let's so, do that. Uh, Let's see which one scor- upsets me. Scorpion Rider, no, they're not going to upset you. They're just funny. Scorpion Rider texted in: This team is absolutely a contender for most likely to make Drance do primal scream therapy every day for two hours. You did debut your uh, "I'm an I'm a wild animal in a tie" take yeah. yesterday. That's how I feel. Just like Donkey Kong banging your chest. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
1: <laughs> Like <laughs> yelling like, about the cap. <laughs> like Chris Zahn in White Lotus.
0: <laughs> yeah. Or sorry, Zahn. Greg Zahn. Greg Zahn. Uh, this one comes in. Steve Zahn. Greg Zahn's the baseball analyst. Greg Zahn. Yes, former uh, baseball analyst. Right. Uh, excuse me. Dan in Fort St. John. The Canucks are a contender, not for the Cup, not for Bedard, probably not for the playoffs, but definitely a contender to draft 12 to 15 overall. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, hey, there's some good players who could go in the twelve to fifteen. Yearly range. similar Ryan and Penticton text in the Canucks are absolutely a contender, a contender for the early twenty tens, Calgary Flames, stuck in purgatory place in the standings, doomed to mediocrity by consistently finishing fifteenth to twentieth in the NHL. That's from Ryan and Penticton. It's a pretty good analogy, actually. So, uh, those came in like simultaneously almost. Okay. <laughs> almost identical points. That's almost identical pretty points. Pretty good analogy. Hey, look.
1: Drafting twelve to fifteenth. It's not good. It's not good. But hey, this is such a good draft class. You'll still get an exciting player. Ideally, you'd you'd find a way to draft like in the top five and have another pick, right? That would be nice. Because like, you know, Zach Benson. Zach Benson could fall. Right? He's like, he doesn't have high end hands or spe- or feet. Like his speed's not great. So people, you know, there's a chance if you're if you're a five foot nine guy whose speed is not a separator and whose you know hands are not the strength of their game like there's a real chance you profile like a guy who could fall that would be a tremendous error a tremendous error this is a genius level player this guy sees the ice a little bit like Elias Patterson right like in terms of he's the best player on the best team in the dub Mm. in his draft year right he is a high-end penalty killer (laughs) <laughs> in the dub, at 17, he is a genius. A genius at every at, at, in every phase of the game. If he drops and you have an extra pick in the teens, like you are laughing. This is an Abbotsford kid, by the way. And the other the other guy to keep in mind for late in the first uh, is Andrew Cristal. Crystal, I don't know. I need to figure out how to pronounce his we name. We just do Crystal. It's more fun. It is more fun. Just <laughs> say Cristal. Anyway, the, I mean, look, he's uh, Kelowna. WHL, but he's a Vancouver kid. Family's longtime Canucks season ticket holders. Let's go. Huge Canucks fan. Good buddies with Bedard. And offensive zone anyway. Like he doesn't have the shot. He doesn't have the feet. He doesn't have the impact. He doesn't make the impact in transition. But in terms of like raw offensive instincts, it's probably him number two among all players in the wow. number two or number three among all
0: players in the draft class. Like guy's a wizard.
1: Absolute wizard.
0: I like it. There you go. I love the the specific focus on lower mainland kids as well. The you, scouting report. You have to. It's not it's not just me like I used
1: to make fun of the like draft a good big western Canadian kid. But it's like right now the skill coming out of the lower mainland is like extraordinarily high. Like Vancouver's going to produce three top picks, three first round picks this year, including the first overall, the best first overall in about 5-6 years right? This is two years after having another fifth overall pick in Kent Johnson, right? And all of these kids profile in exactly the way that, you know, I'm always enamored with, which is like massive ceiling, super skilled, could be extremely special if they hit type players. And then next year, they're going to have the inside track to have another first overall and clearly going to have another top five player from the lower mainland. Also a forward, also high end skilled. I mean, it's... I used to make fun of it. I used to make fun of the like draft western yeah, yeah, Canadian yeah. kids' nativism. But right now, the skill coming out of the lower mainland is just some of the best in the hockey world.
0: This is a great text. A five foot nine guy who's not fast sounds like a Canuck already. <laughs> yep. He is lucky you're not his agent. That's like, pretty good. Doesn't have great foot speed. Doesn't have great hands. <laughs> doesn't really affect the game in transition. <laughs> well, uh, no, that wasn't
1: Benson. Benson affects the okay, game in transition. Okay. He's a genius. Dude, I'm telling you. Any if if he goes any lower than seven, every team that passes on him will regret it.
0: I have not. I have not. Th- there's this become this ritual at 650, right, where at certain point in the year. You start talking about the draft You have prospects. to start talking about the draft. And you got to, okay, oh, I'm, call up your draft guys. They're coming on the show. Sorry, the season's but, done. We're but, there.
1: But this year we've kind of secretly been doing it. Like all of this season is unfolding against the backdrop of Conor Bedard, in my opinion. Bedard looms like Mount Fromm above this season. What? Sure, he's from Lynn Valley. <laughs> <laughs> good local reference, bro. Oh, uh, imagine! <laughs> Great. Every,
0: everyone knows your local references are sick. <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, I haven't. I haven't dug in. I obviously know Connor Bedard, Fantilli, Mitchkov, now Carlson, mean- but. Well, no, I'm going to need more than that because the Canucks aren't going to be picking there. (laughs) So I will, in fact, need to dig into the 10 to 15 range. I think you're probably right. Although you could, yeah, I mean, you're right. Yes. Uh, I wanted to read a couple of texts before we move on from the the Pedersen-Hughes Discussion. This one from Yash in Mount Pleasant. If Pedersen has passed his statistical prime after this year, how can we justify paying him $10 million plus on a long-term deal? And related to that, this text unsigned comes in. The problem with not tearing it down now is that there's likely to be no surplus value on Pedersen and negative contract value for Horvat and Miller three years from now. To win a cup, you need surplus value on players. Uh, Example of the Tampa Bridge deals, McKinnon at half price, etc. Where does our surplus value come in three years? Hughes and Demko, if they have surplus value, it'll likely be canceled out uh, by Horvat and Miller's decline. That's that's a good text. That's a really good text. And the point about... Well, so sorry.
1: Give me the examples that they used on surplus value. The Tampa Bridge deals. Yeah. Okay, so... We live in a world where the line between restricted and unrestricted free agency is almost blurred entirely, right? Where Rob Thomas, Tim Stutzla, uh, Jordan Cairo, and Josh Norris all signed for $8 million, right? Like, that's JT Miller money. That's Bo Horvat money, right? Five years ago, those guys would have gotten four, half the amount, right? Because they would have been RFAs, and teams would have paid the UFA guys. Teams have flipped that. They pay now for potential. And so there is no real, like, clear demarcating line between unrestricted free agency and, and restricted free agency, except if you play in Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is the one team that has managed to enforce a longer run of cost certainty on their players. How did they do it? Well, they got buy-in from all of their star players. Started with Stamkos and Hedman. I think the key moment was when Stamkos went and flirted with all the other teams, including the mayor of Toronto and and the executives from Canadian Tire, and obviously Lou Lamorello, and then decided nah, nah, no, thank you. And within forty eight hours, Hedman was done. And later that summer, they got the Kucherov bridge deal done, and then they were locked in. Like that was the key moment where Tampa Bay managed to. Not unlike what the Canucks did with the Sedins. Play brinksmanship with your absolute best, right? Have the guts to do it. Have the guts to, you know, draw a line in the st- sand and stand behind it. Enforce it. But also, quietly and reliably sell and build trust and get that vision done. Get that buy-in done. And once you get that done, everything falls into, into place. Kucherov gets bridged. And then, you know, all of a sudden when you're negotiating with Braden Point, you've got this line in the sand. And and by the way, it doesn't end there for Tampa Bay, right? It's not just that they bridge these guys. You bridge Kucherov, you bridge Vasilevsky, you bridge Point, you bridge the trio of guys, Sorelli, Chernak, uh, Chernak and Sergishev. And then what do you do? The day they become eligible. You give
0: them long-term extensions. Long,
1: And they all get it. Yeah. So it's like, you're not saying No. We're not doing the long-term deal now. You're not maximizing your value now. You're saying not yet. And there is a clear trust, like a covenant, between organization and this group of players that has allowed Tampa Bay, in a world where the lines between restricted and unrestricted free agency have completely blurred, that allows Tampa Bay to rely on six years of cost certainty in a league where everyone else, 31 other teams, get three. That! Is a durable competitive advantage that can allow you to go to the Stanley Cup final three years in a row. It ain't easy to set it up. But what's so tragic is that we had it here. Like, who? I bet you anything. If you ask Eiserman, who'd you model the mm. way you've done business on? He'd say Vancouver. How sad is that? How sad is it? It's like he did it better. He had more patience from the organization to do it better, and now this is like one of the toughest cap situations in the league. But I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if I, if Iserman or Brisbois are like, "Hey, how would you figure out how to do this? What were you thinking? Like, what
0: was what was the model?" I bet you they'd say, "Ah, what the what the what Vancouver did." in 2008 2009 it's interesting to think about how that might impact uh, Dylan Larkin negotiations this offseason as well that's a bit of a tangent no 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 what, it's fast mind. it's fascinating yeah.
1: and has implications for the Canucks because Larkin's status will impact Bo Horvath Absolutely. significantly and yeah you're right the Larkin deal is going to require like you know first of all Lark- does Larkin got rid of Kurt Overhart
0: couldn't tell you off the top of my head.
1: Yeah, Larkin so Larkin had Kurt Overhart who we all know is, you know, Scott Boris like in terms of his his method of fighting for players. I think he has CAA now. I'd have to I'd have to double check that though. And he has CAA or Newport like everybody else. <laughs> anyway, uh yeah, could that go down to the wire based on Iserman? I should talk to Max Boltman. That's actually a fascinating thing to think about. Anyway, McKinnon is the other one. This one also is an, a regrettable opportunity cost for the Canucks because why was McKinnon's deal so efficient? Because he
0: had a downturn after his great rookie season. <laughs> because he sucked. He struggled. He sucked.
1: Uh, he didn't suck, obviously. It's Nathan McKinnon. No, he struggled. He didn't
0: He didn't continue to improve, or at least not based on the counting stats. He had a couple down years. Yeah. No, and it, I, I'd say the two-way
1: stuff was even more concerning. There were, like, legitimate hockey people questioning his intelligence. Okay. Can you think of another team that had a star center who maybe had a down year right before his contract expired? Yep. If only. If only you can take advantage of those opportunities rather than commit your cap space to Oliver ekman larsson Connor Garland, and Jason
0: Dickinson. Seems like that would be advisable, right? That would have been a good thing to do. You'd be having a very different conversation.
1: Very different conversations You, you know right who, now. You know who managed to do it? The New Jersey Devils. The moment that Jack Hughes deal got done. I was calling it the new McKinnon deal and yep it is a durable that's going to be a durable so how do you like there's multiple ways to create a competitive advantage cap wise the Tampa Bay way requires like 10 years of extraordinary discipline which which by the way is the best way to do it the other way is to seize on the opportunities when they present themselves the Canucks already failed on that that right like this is the, to bring this back full circle. This is the other part of the like wrist bones connected to the forearm bone or whatever thing. I don't actually know the song. I should look up the song before I reference it. Eh, eh whatever. <laughs> Who cares? This is this is like me being like, yeah, Mardi Gras in my life is the lyric from Mambo Number Five. It's like, no, it's not. You're an idiot. All right, um, sorry. <laughs> to bring this all back. One of the other things that the Canucks lack here, and one of the reasons that this is baked in, in my view, is the cost certainty thing.
0: You also don't have cost certainty on some of your best players. And you have no, there is no mechanism to grind them down and get them to take less because no one's, it hasn't happened. Everyone's everyone gets their raise and that's fine. The players fight for it. They deserve it. You you can't point to the culture, the success, anything like that, right? The internal cap structure. No. There's no leverage to try to now institute that kind of process, right? That discipline that you're talking about. And so you're in a position where you basically have to either your choices are pay Elias Peterson, 10, 10 and a half, 11 for eight years if you want him to stick around. And we have people, we have people texting in. You know, uh, who says Peterson will even want to sign here? That's Britt in Coquitlam. Who knows? But if you're if you're able to make an offer like that, I think you, there's at least a very very good chance that you're able to get that deal done. But those are your choices. Your choices are either sign a contract that has a lot of risk, and as the uh, earlier texture points out, might not have a ton of surplus value because that's the going rate for a player like Elias Peterson. Or you are giving up on a player like Elias Pettersson, and it's really hard to win a trade if Elias Pettersson is the guy going the other way. Well, this is the last thing. Is this is why
1: I've always, you know, advocated dogmatically and and extremely strongly for for long term second contracts, right? Like I think bridge contracts for elite players are the worst bets in hockey. Like I think there is nothing worse than it. And the worst part about it for me too is they're one of those things that people can't see clearly. Like Jason Robertson, what value for the Stars? The bill comes due the bill comes due and it sucks. Mm -hmm. And guess what? It's going to come for Vancouver with Elias Pettersson. And when it does, they're going to be paying him through the age of what? He's going to be, he's 24 now. Yeah. He's going to be 26. You're going to sign for eight years if you're able to keep him. So you're getting him, you're getting his age 33 and 34 seasons at top dollar too, as opposed to getting him 22 through 29, the way you could have. The
0: the uh, Just looking at New Jersey right now. Oh, they're set up so well. And Nico Heesher. Twenty one and twenty three combined, just over fifteen million for the next four seasons after this one. Yeah, phenomenal. Well, I, and if they if they'd only got it done
1: with Brat too, you would be losing it. But Brat's going to make money. All of that said, as good as Brat has been, they're going to be able to point to Hughes. Right? We can't pay you more than Jack. Yep. Or if we do, it's going to be like five hundred k more in 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 concordance with sort of the cap rising. Right? You remember you remember like uh BXA making five hundred K more. Have you uh, you remember uh BXa was on was uh it was the Vancast. BXa was on the Vancast after free agency talking about I don't I don't listen. Fair <laughs> enough. Sorry, I'm joking. No no no, it's okay. fine, it's fine. He was on the Vancast after free agency open and we were talking about him eschewing free agency to sign with the Canucks after the twenty eleven yep. Stanley Cup final. And Because the cap had gone up, they offered him 500K more than his partner, Dan Hamhuse, right? They said it was the same amount, but it's like, this is, you know, it's an inflationary, it's the same amount, but you're making 500K more for inflationary reasons. What was BX's reaction? Before signing the contract, he called his partner to make sure it was okay. Obviously, Dan Hamhuse is like, dude, I'm stoked you're sticking around. (laughs) But that's the point, right? Like, that's what happens when you have cap sanity internally. When you're able to impose that sort of cap structure on a group, that's what this club has lacked. And by the way, that's not on Rutherford and company. You know, it's it like I don't know. That oh you're, no, you're you're not. You're never going to be able to put the genie back in the bottle with this group. You
0: anyway. got to work with what you have. They they came into a certain situation. It's their job to make the best of it. But yeah, we, let's be very clear. We're not blaming this current manager no, 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 no. for any of this uh, situation. They don't have a magic wand. They don't have a time machine. Uh, Locutus of Borg texts in. Technically, the scaphoid and the lunate are the two bones which actually articulate with the radius and ulna to form the wrist joint. You know I'm into this. I'm not sure how this affects the Horvat extension. (laughs) 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 That's the cutest (laughs) of Borg. Fantastic text. Well, let's hope at no point it does. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Praying. Praying that it does not affect the Horvat extension. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Keep your thoughts coming in. Second hour, up next, it is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz. Canucks will play the San Jose Sharks at 7 30 tonight. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota All Star team. Avenue Machinery.ca, DouglasLakeEquipment.com. Speaking of machinery, did you try Mr. Scooty?
1: I haven't yet. I have not yet. New courses tonight, though. Ooh. New courses tonight for all you MK8 fans. New courses this evening. It's a big night in
0: my household. We're gonna have to do like um, after the after the game's done, I'm a, a Canucks talk get together where it's like Mario Kart eight and strawberry rhubarb pie, yo. and then a, and then a screening of Airbud. Legit, le- legitimately, if you want to be part of
1: um, an MK eight live room, we could straight up like host a Zoom for twelve MK eight racers. We might have to get on that me, at some point. And do, and David Quadrelli, David Quadrelli, Vancouver Canucks reporter. He's really the second best racer that I've. Faced in like ever after I mean, you after me of yes, course of course of no course. we 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 do we do like Canucks media pool MK eight matches and the funny thing about them is I never lose <laughs> but like sometimes it gets dicey like quads will win the first three and then I come back and just like dominate it's so funny
0: sometimes you're like um like a wrestler looking for like cheap heel heat
1: you know what I mean <laughs> no 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 this is accurate
0: this is just true
1: like. You can ask him on Twitter. Go ahead and ask quads on Twitter. Ask him if he's ever beaten me. He'll tell you the truth.
0: Uh, somebody texted in earlier that they were sad about Oh, yeah, Jake and Nanaimo. I lost money betting on the Carolina Hurricanes to beat the Ducks last night. I'm very oh, sad, but I tough. love strawberry rhubarb pie. <laughs> so shout out to Jake and that is a That is a tough L. Oh, is it ever? <laughs> My goodness, <laughs> that's a black swan of event all right the there. teams for them to lose against.
1: Woo! It's the most organized team in hockey losing to the least organized team in hockey. It's
0: you, you love to see it. We also had this question come in: What's more impossible? This Canucks score figuring it out and winning some playoff rounds, contending for a couple years, or Air Bud hitting leadoff? That's from Rager. Oh, by far, Air Bud h- hitting leadoff. We all know that dogs. We can't all hit. know how
1: completely ridiculous it is. Just we've think, all thought just, at length about it. We've. I hope so. I hope we have. Yeah, Airbud's statistical prime was in high school. Everything else was just ridiculous. Stretched was over the it. bounds of imagination. He was over the hill. Over I the love, hill after I that. I love once Airbud comes up and I look over at producer Dom and he's just got the blankest of blank stares. It's so good.
0: He's just like Dom, are you not an Airbud guy? Dom's getting his headset on. He's I am an Airbud guy. I was gonna I say I was
1: just thinking when would in dog years be the high school years for Airbud? Like would that be two, two or three? Two, yeah. Two. Two times seven is fourteen. So, okay, two, so two, two years two old, to two and, and a half. By prime. the time a dog's three, they're
0: really. I have no idea. Like, how old are the dogs at, like, the Westminster Dog Show? Like, what is a dog's athletic prime? I truly don't yeah, know. Yeah, you know what? I don't know. Because for either. horses, it's like two, two three years, right? I, th- I bet it's similar for a dog. I would guess it's similar for dogs as well. Yeah. If somebody knows, let me know. Uh, anyways, Dom, I would have bet that you are uh, an airbud guy. So, thank uh, you for proving your Dogs
1: me right. begin to plateau around the age of five and
0: six. All right. All right. Wow. So they're like the rare guy that can get it done to 35-40. <laughs> yeah, there's <they're> Martin St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> All right, enough of that. <laughs> um, we're going to hear from Bruce Boudreaux in this segment. As mentioned, the Canucks take on the San Jose Sharks at 7.30. Your pregame coverage gets going here at 6.30 on Sportsnet 650. Batch and Randeep will have the call, as always, Satin Bick with your postgame coverage. We ran through the lineup quickly in the first segment. We talked a little bit about uh, Jax Danica, getting the shot to play center between Kuzmenko and Connor Garland. The other interesting feature, and it's no surprise whatsoever because we've seen this for a couple of games now, but uh Besser still playing with Elias Petterson and Ilya Mikheyev. And you can just see the extra jump, I think, in in Brock Besser's step in his game when he gets to play with Elias Pettersson. Elias Petterson, historically, they've been a very successful duo. And, you know, regardless of where the trade conversation with Brock Besser is going, right? Is Are we going to see something imminently? Is it going to be to the, su- to the summer? Will he ultimately move? Who knows, right? We're going to see how this plays out. But completely independently of that conversation, Besser really has to be a fixture, I think, with Elias Pettersson for the foreseeable future. Because trade him, not trading him, keeping him, whatever the case is, You need to get Brock Besser going, you need to get his production up, you need to at least put yourself in a spot to make a deal from any sort of position of strength, rather than the ultimate position of weakness that you're in right now. Are
1: you trying to cynically restrain Andre Kuzmenko's contract talk leverage? No, but that might be a nice added bonus, although I'm not sure how Dan Milstein would feel about it. I wouldn't be happy about it. But, you know. Dan, Dan Milstein's got a lot of Canucks clients, so I'm sure you can make it up to him. Um, I mean, look. It's a really complicated set of considerations, and I think this team fundamentally needs to decide what they're doing because I think that'll have echoes in terms of their lineup decisions. Now, this is also something that probably has to be delayed because of Bruce Boudreau's status, because of mm-hmm. the alignment issues. You know, the Athletic does a future rankings – project every year and you we look at we look out we have a panel of writers who contribute Corey pronman obviously like does the prospects and Shayna goldman does a variety of things and on and on and i was asked to sit as a panelist this year uh ranking management groups and coaching staff so it's like one score for management and coach (laughs) who's who puts Which combination of head coach and manager Puts their team in the best spot For the next five years So I did it on a bell curve Because I thought that was the right way to do it And I get to the Canucks And I'm like I have no idea what to score them Like I can't project What does Bruce Boudreaux's presence mean For the next five years for the Canucks (laughs) What does it mean for the next five weeks (laughs) Right I don't know So I like asked if I could give them an incomplete I literally was like Can I give them an NA And I was told no (laughs) So I didn't score them very high. Now, I'm not the only person scoring this, and I don't know if I should scoop my own outlet by telling you what they got, but let's just say it's a very, very bad score. How else do you score them, though, right? I mean, on paper, Rutherford and Boudreau have probably two of the best resumes in the sport among hockey ops leadership and head coach. Like, it's hard to think of a better combo. But the lack of alignment there, right, and the uncertainty there over a five-year time horizon, plus the fact that, you know, I I think it's fair to say unequivocally, Rutherford's first year has been bumpy in the extreme, right? It's not to say it will continue to be bumpy. We've brought up the Mm -hmm. Pittsburgh analogy Mm -hmm. a million times. I think we got it right. Like I'm going to be able to stand behind that low score, even though in a lot of ways, like it was one that I wrestled with a lot because I think Boudreaux is a really good coach. I think Jim Rutherford's a, a really strong executive. And yet for whatever reason together, I couldn't put them even close to the fat part of the bell curve. They had to be at the tail end just because of what we've seen in the first year. And because of the conspicuous lack of alignment. And, and so, you know, You're talking about Besser playing with Pedersen as a long-term consideration, and I don't disagree with you, but there's a lot of guys who you might want to give the Pedersen bump to, right? Um, You know, are you trying, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to boost Besser's trade value or are you trying to win, right? Are you trying to restrain Kuzmenko's value? Are you trying to get Niels Hoaglander and Vasily Podkolzin adept and up and running as impactful middle nine four or like top nine forwards? Like what, what are you trying to achieve? Because the one thing Pedersen is clearly doing is creating an environment where everyone else succeeds yep. or looks a lot better. You can throw Connor Garland in that mix, right? Right, a hundred percent. And yet, and and really, he's the only guy on this team capable of just like his presence alone elevates everybody. Right, Bo Horvat can help you win a matchup. Bo Horvat and JT Miller have helped create that environment a little bit, particularly with Niels Hoaglander giving that line some nitrous.
0: Yeah, but that's different because it's Hoaglander helping them in a way, right? Because we've seen it, we've seen other guys there, we've seen Besser there with them. And yeah, and it doesn't, it doesn't work look, as well. It doesn't work, right? So they still need It's not like with Pedersen where as you say, it's basically anyone who goes there. Pedersen's gonna find a way to get the best out of them, adapt his game to them, put them in a position to succeed. Horvat and Miller, with the right combination, can be a really good line, but it's it's not just plug and play with any other guy you have in the lineup, right? No, it's not. No, it's not. You're you're right.
1: So, you know, you can use that to your advantage. I mean, we talked about this a little bit with Quinn Hughes, right? Like, we're really at risk, I think, of Quinn Hughes's defense partner being like what Bo Horvat's wingers were were through his statistical mm. prime. Remember, like until Tanner Pearson came to town, it was like. Just this rotating cast of guys, most of whom are no longer in the league. You know, and it was like, when will they find, or remember Jerome McGinley's centerman? Oh, Jerome Ginla's yeah. centerman, that was a fun one. Like, we're an organization, like when do we get to that point with Quinn Hughes? I mean, I know we all love Luke Shen, but at some point, you know, Tanev was a perfect fit. And then since then, it's been what? Um, we had some Tucker Pullman. Uh, we had some Jordy Ben, who actually worked there. There's been Luke Shen. Yeah, Luke Shen. We had we had OEL for the preseason. <laughs> like, I, I I mean, at some point we're gonna get to an area where you know Quinn Hughes sort of creates that that issue himself. Uh, Quinn Hughes probably did help the club though get a return for Jordy Ben. I wouldn't be shocked if he could help the club max their return for Luke Shen. And, and well, as he's we going talked to. about, uh, he's going to. And as we talked about, you know, you can maybe even do it twice. If you go Shen and then Burroughs. But at some point, too, you're you're gonna want you're gonna want someone who like brings something. You're gonna want an Alex Burrows, right? Like the thing about Alex Burroughs, if you look at the twins, did the twins need Alex Burroughs to be great? No. Did Alex Burrows make the twins greater? Yes. His defensive impact on that line was always through the roof, right? Like the Canucks would cycle through other guys. Hansen, Samuelson, Pyatt, on and on. The difference with Burroughs was that all of a sudden the Canucks had a totally different defensive gear with their top line on the ice and and outscored the opposition by like 100 five-on-five yeah. on
0: five goals over a three-year stretch when they were the best in the league. And Burroughs is just such an incredibly intelligent player that he was able to figure out how to complement the Sedins in the best possible yeah. way.
1: He, just, had, he had that smart, so not every player has. Despite having almost none of the natural skills that people yeah. would have thought would work with the Twins, he had the brain to do it, and that turns out to be... He was a good hockey player. That turns out to be the most important thing. So anyway, we were talking about Pettersson and and how you and what wingers should play with well, him. Well,
0: we were also talking about Hughes and and your your analogy was you need to find the Alex Burrows for Quinn Hughes, right? Like you need to find the guy who doesn't just prevent mistakes doesn't just kind of tread water there but actually raises the ceiling for that pairing
1: a little bit rather than just raising the floor if you're trying to win games in the here and now Pedersen's linemates, I think based on what we've seen this season should be Kuzmenko and Mikheyev okay if you're trying to repair a relationship with Brock Besser and or showcase him right this is one where perhaps management and Bruce Boudreau are, are aligned you play him with Pedersen right and then then Besser goes with Pedersen um you know that for me, that's sort of the future versus present. For me, the best the best forward line that the Canucks could put with Pedersen right now, based on what we've seen this season, I don't even think it's hard to figure out. Kuzmenko has had a Burrows type impact, and not defensive impact, but like Kuzmenko has added fuel to Pedersen. Right for the most part, whoever's played with Pedersen has benefited. Kuzmenko benefits Pedersen. In a way that almost no other winger that the Canucks have played with him through this point in the season, small sample has so for me anyway, that would be the line like if you want if you want to play your absolute best line, that's it.
0: I do think in my Mi- view I do think Mikhaev has not to the same extent as kuzmenko and i I mean it's so hard to divide the credit up between. Different line mates, right? Especially when one of them is Elias Pettersson. There's always a tendency just to give him all of all of the credit, but I do think because Pettersson is such a smart hockey player, he's found ways to use Mikhaev's speed in really intelligent ways, and in that you could argue that Mikaev has helped to boost that line and that partnership a little bit as well, but not to the extent I don't think that uh, that Andre Kuzmenko has 650 650 is the Dunbar lumber text line as mentioned the Canucks I think I think sorry I just think is benefiting from
1: playing with Pedersen an awful oh, sure. lot more than the inverse Sure but I would say the same thing about Kuzmenko I wouldn't I think I think Kuzmenko I mean we saw the other game like oh, he's really good he's a he's, yeah. he's really smart I mean really I think fit. I think Kuzmenko's driving offense regardless of where he is at this point that's what he looks like to me anyway he's he's driving things through the neutral zone regardless of where he is um
0: Mikheyev's not scoring on another line in my opinion. That's probably true. He's not getting those. He's not getting the setups he's getting from Elias Patterson no on another line. 650-650 is the Dunbar-Lumber text line. As mentioned, the Canucks play the San Jose Sharks tonight in San Jose. Here is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreau speaking before the game.
2: I saw Stadika in the middle this morning.
3: Yeah. Well, he's an central centerman. and We have to give him reps at it to, to get better. You know? So We'll see. We'll see how
2: that. What are you hoping to see from him? Because he does, he does move well.
3: Well, you know, he sneakily gets you um, chances. I mean, uh, before he got hurt, you know, I mean, he'd scored a goal, and then his first game back, he uh, um, had that good opportunity that the goal called back because he made a good offensive play. He made a good offensive play for the, the goal the last game. So, I mean, the, the, the book on him is he's, he's got an offensive mind. And he just uh, hasn't really had the opportunity to do it uh, on a regular basis since junior.
2: For a team that's really struggling on its last road trip, the Sharks have, are getting an amazing season from Carlson. I know you touched on this before, but how do you control a guy like that? Or are you, is it is this a, just an awareness when he's on the ice? What, what do you have to do to contain him tonight, Bruce?
3: Look, you never control a superstar yeah. like that. Uh, but you try to maintain... That the the damage is as little as possible, and I mean, he's got a great read on when to jump into the play, when to shoot the puck, when to what open spaces to go to. But you're right, we need the awareness every time he's on the ice of where he is, and it's you know usually the left winger's responsibility. So uh, we'll make them resp- we'll make them cognizant of that fact tonight, and that's what we did the last time against them. And, I thought we held them pretty good so hopefully it'll work out again
2: you you had to really you're running on fumes the last time you were in here you had that amazing three-game road trip and you got a team that's coming off such a bad trip i mean this is this a danger game
3: well it's every play every game we play it's sort of like is you know lately it's uh, uh but i mean uh the games they played if you look at it i mean uh, the scores were close. They were competitive in every game. They should have beat Toronto. I mean, but uh, um, uh, we know we're in for a tough battle. We know they're uh, historically good at home, even though their home record isn't that good this year. And knowing that they've lost the last couple, uh, they're going to be uh, more than ready to jump in and, and get back on the winning track today.
2: Garland scored that goal to get you going Monday night looked like the guy who had 19 goals last year I asked him this morning hey, did you change your stick did you change your blade are you superstitious when you're going through such a long drought he said no I just play and I try to play hard and I try to score do you, do you admire is there a level of admiration for a guy who kind of gets it on that level that it's about just sticking with the process because eventually if you do you're well, going be- the Schneider.
3: if you believe in yourself that's yeah. what you do like I mean if you think that oh the wrong stick today then all of a sudden you're yeah looking at superstitions that eventually, uh, you know, get you, get you down and uh, it doesn't succeed. So, I mean, he's got the right attitude. He's a, a hard-working guy, and when he gets mad on the ice, he's, he's really good.
2: Did he try to do too much at some point? So, like he seemed to overhandle the pocket. I think he's like, trying. He's trying, trying it's so hard to make something happen.
3: And it, it, when, when you're in a slump, I mean, uh, you try to make the perfect play you know, and we've all gone through it, went through it so many times, don't want to remember it. But I mean, and instead of getting back to the basics of just shooting pucks and going to the net and then having one maybe bounce off your leg or something, and then that gets you going. I mean, this was, a have uh, seen him scoring that kind of breakaway yeah. before, and hopefully that's all you need to get, uh, you know, get going on the other, on, on the right foot.
2: I mean, you've got with 20 goals he's leading your team in scoring but if you need everybody and i just think that you know garland just getting off the schneid could be just another element that you really Well,
3: you know, needed. all the good teams have it's not a two-line nope. team anymore and it's not it's not a three-line you get your checking line you get three gut lines that can score that's uh, that's the sort of the formula for success i think
0: That is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreau speaking after the team skated down in San Jose they'll face the Sharks 7 7.30 tonight. Welcome back to Canucks Talk. How excited is Bruce for Stanika yeah, the th- <laughs> third uh, line center? Lower energy. Oh, my God. Presser there from Bruce Boudreau compared to some of them we've heard from his time in no, Vancouver. But specifically on that subject, it was just
1: like, well, we got to try it. Oh, man. You're thrilled. He's not wrong. You do have to try it. No, you do, but I mean, he it didn't, it didn't really sell that one. No, he did not there's something there. I'm sorry, like I'm not saying that I know that. I sniff something there in that if left to his druthers, I suspect Boudreaux might have Sheldon dries would be in the lineup there. Yeah. And and look, management will always say coach gets to decide, but I'm sure they make their arguments. You know that d- coach gets to decide the lineup, but, but there's a lot of input. But you're going to give feedback about what you think if you strongly disagree, sometimes publicly in 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 this team's case. That feels like one that, you know, st- st- they acquire Stanika. He goes right into the middle. It lasts one game. It's been dries for a long time. The team wins, but the lineup changes anyway.
0: Something there. There's something yeah, there. I'm just I- saying
1: I'm just saying that one, none of that passes my sniff test.
0: I will say, if you'd been looking at it and thinking, okay, Joshua's coming back, who's going to come out of the lineup? Stanika would have been the obvious candidate. He did score last game, so... That makes it a little more difficult, but you're right, I think, to wonder if there might be a little bit more there on the uh, on the Jack-Sticknicka front. More than wonder. Because especially, I mean, I know you've reported that some of the trades they might be looking to execute might be about, you know, maybe the coach plays this guy a little too much, and we would like to remove that possibility. There obviously is – and, you know, we get people texting in about the Stillman thing. I think that one at this point we can say – Bruce Boudreaux prefers Riley Stillman to Kyle Burrows in the lineup. I don't even think you even need to go to the management side of things for the Riley Stillman decision, and Stillman will be in the lineup again tonight just based on the what we've heard Boudreaux have to say on that matter. There's always this speculation, but uh, as you've reported, I mean, management obviously disagrees pretty strongly with some of the lineup decisions that Boudreaux makes on occasion. On occasion? Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, know. I mean, that's fair to say. So I think it's fair to wonder to look at this one and wonder if – what exactly is leading to uh, Studnicka getting the chance. Having said yeah, that, I think look, it's clearly the right decision. I don't know exactly, I don't know all of them. I don't know all of them. No.
1: I don't know any of them. To be told, like, I mean, I, I hear third-hand accounts or second-hand accounts, or, you know, I, I talk to enough people to, I think, have a decent sense of some of what various characters think within the within the front office. But how, I mean, explain to me Niels Hoglander's usage. Like, can you explain to me Niels Hoaglander's usage this season? No, not really. <laughs> I sure can't. Can you
0: explain to me Vasily Colson's usage this season? That one I almost can more. Okay. Because he hasn't necessarily had the highs of usage that Niels Hoaglander has had. You know what I mean? He's actually been better, though. Sure, but it's coaches... It's not always a perfect, hey, this guy's been better than this guy, so he's going to get more ice time. That's not always how it works.
1: kuzmenko petterson pod Colson is, like, one of the best lines that we've seen play 25-ish minutes together this season. Mikaev comes back. I understand preferring Mikhaev in that spot to some extent. But also, like, if you've got a 21-year-old playing like that without the bottom line,
0: like, you know, maybe give him a little more time. But, see, to me, that's what makes it relatively easy to explain is that we've heard Boudreaux emphasize the bottom line thing, even with young players. so i can I can understand where it's coming from. As much as we know he likes Pod Colson. he spoke glowingly of Pod Colson on plenty of occasions. He's also been a guy who's been upfront about, hey, there has to be a bottom line. There has to be production. I'm not saying it's right. It doesn't make it right, but so, it's it's easy for me to understand what was going on there. There's a lot of guys with limited bottom line who've been in the lineup every game, yep. anyway, um, you
1: know, you, uh, you can understand why there'd be frustration with some of those decisions, right? I don't think it's like I think Boudreaux's a really good coach. No, and there have been some there have been some decisions that I find
0: frustrating, and I think we should also point out disagreements over lineup decisions. 32 out of 32 teams right between front office and, and coach like that's always going to come up even if you have maximum alignment no no of course it is come on there's always going to be disagreements at the margins in the course of a season I'm not saying they all have the same amount of them or the same intensity but there's always going to be these back and forth and these and dis- these conversations and arguments to some extent to some extent but not I mean you know disagreements I think is a strong word to use there fair you know like conversations arguments
1: Let's put um, it that way. Differing views, perhaps. Sure. I'd
0: agree with sure. that. Okay. Uh, 650, 650, Dunbar Lumber text line. Get your thoughts and any questions you have. I had a good text in about uh, Quinn Hughes earlier. I want to double back and talk about that a little bit. Any other, Anything else that's on your mind about the Canucks, hit us up. Again, 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Final segment of the show coming up here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650 coming to you live from the Kintex studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. We have a late-breaking guest announcement, our pal Jeff Merrick host of the Jeff Merrick Show and also the 32 Thoughts podcast, and also a fixture on Hockey Night in Canada, is going to join us momentarily here. We'll get his thoughts on some of the stories around the Canucks right now. Before we get to Merrick, I again want to tell you about Food Bank Friday. Sportsnet 650 has teamed up with the Greater Vancouver Food Bank for Food Bank Friday. The virtual fundraiser for the Food Bank is December 16th from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., it raises important funds for accessible, healthy, and sustainable food for individuals and families. You can check out the events tab at sportsnet.ca slash 650 to donate. That's sportsnet.ca slash 650, the events tab. We're very, very excited this year. We have two anonymous donors back again who will match donations dollar for dollar up to the first $45,000. That means if your impact will be at least $4 for every dollar you donate once you factor in. The food banks buying power if you want to add your own match or challenge you can email events at foodbank.bc.ca and of course as a reminder the greater vancouver food bank always can use cash donations to distribute healthy nutritious food to people in need now joining us on Canucks Talk, our pal, a host of the Jeff Merrick Show and the 32 Thoughts podcast along with Elliot Friedman. He is Jeff Merrick. Jeff, thanks for doing this. I know it's a, a very busy day for you. We're really happy to have you on the line. How are you?
4: Uh, I'm doing well. Just leaving uh, an interview with Todd McClellan, the, uh, the head coach of the Los Angeles Kings. So that's why, that's why uh, you got me a little bit later today, but uh, I appreciate you guys making time. How are you doing today? We're doing well. How's Todd McClellan doing? <laughs> I like talking to him. You know, when when you think about Todd McClellan and you consider like all the elite players, like I know in Detroit he was an assistant coach, but still, like um you know, the end of Eiserman's career and Lindstrom and Datsuk and Zetterberg and Stanley Cup in 2008, and then into San Jose and you know the the powerhouse of you know Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe and Joe Pavelski and Brent Burns, and you know now into the Los Angeles Kings where it's Dowdy and Kopitar and. He's a, he's he's a fascinating guy that um, that has a lot of old school about him. You know, by his own admission, you know it's, it's it's funny. I we were talking a lot about you know kids today and young athletes today and how everything's so quick and easy and doing video review is simple. Although he doesn't know how to do any of it, he knows where you know where he wants to tape or the the video and. Uh, he can explain things, but he's not really the uh, the sharpest when it comes to technology. And I brought up and I talked to one of his uh, one of his former colleagues when he coached in Houston uh, when the Arrows won the Calder Cup and how, you know, that staff, you know, were the masters of the VHS to VHS, you know, plugging the two VCRs and tape cutting and splicing and all that. And he's like, look, even back then, I had no idea that was all, you know, Cam Stewart and, and Matt <laughs> Shaw. He's, you know, he's quick to defer, like, look, I know how to coach and, and that's what I do best. But you know, I, I thought it was we had a really couple of interesting conversations just about the nature of how the game has changed and um, how no lead is sacred and lead changes are the call of the day right now and how you know this is really, you know, a good thing for fans because I don't think it's going back. And I and you know we asked him that and he said no, we're we're probably never going back to being a, a two to one, three to one lead, which is you know, hell for coaches, but uh, but certainly great for fans. Jeff, when you watch that Kings team play,
1: uh, yeah, they move north south better than anybody. They're good, but do they have enough east west creativity to really make noise? You think in this Pacific Division?
4: I think that's specifically why they brought in Kevin Fiala. It's, mm. a, it's a it's a it's a great question. You're right. I mean, this is all even just going back to the to the Daryl Sutter days as well. With the right. Los Angeles Kings, it was almost like table hockey. eh, Drancer? yeah, <laughs> like it was like it was like this. This this is your table hockey team. Like this is your lane, and you stay in your lane, dummy. This is your lane, and you stay in this lane, dummy. And that's how they played. And you know, the Kings were the you know possession monsters and the beast. But there was a lot of you know the old school to their um, to the way that they played. It's it's a fascinating question because uh, you know, you couple that with um, certainly injuries are a great wild card, but also. You know, the Los Angeles Kings last year could rely on some top-notch goaltending, and they haven't been able to. So no matter what they're doing, no matter what they're able to do in the offensive zone, a lot of what's happening right now is getting undone by some, you know, average-to-be-generous goaltending, and, you know, Cal Peterson's the victim of that getting uh, waived most recently. So it's an intriguing team. You know, this year because they made the playoffs last year, they're not gonna be able to sneak up on anybody. Uh you're gonna see a lot more starting goaltenders instead of the one D. Mm-hmm. And I think the Los Angeles Kings are, are going through that 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 growth right now, where they're not just showing up to the rink and hey, let's have some fun and this is all house money. You know, now they're playing with their own money and it's it's a lot different when you find yourself in that situation as the Kings are finding out.
1: The spiritual successor of the those Sutter Kings teams, by the way, clearly, clearly, despite the loss to Anaheim last night, the Carolina Hurricanes, had a good chat with Ethan Bear. He he told oh, yeah. he told me he told me uh, he told me Rod Brindamore refers to it as stress hockey. That's what they play. Stress hockey. Hockey designed to stress you out <laughs> by making <laughs> you make mistakes at all moments, as opposed to, you know, them making any mistakes by actually trying to possess the puck.
4: Yeah. It, 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 Carolina to me is a fascinating team. Like when you look at that uh, again, like I'm, com- I'm, I'm fascinated with the combination new school, old school, because listen, you know, how, how analytically driven the, uh, the Carolina hurricanes are with a lot of their decision-making mm. both what they do on the ice and, and, uh, and how they, uh, how they, how they create their team off the ice. But, you know, they're still a great, you know, uh, dump and recover team, <laughs> yeah. you know, that old you know, you have to, you, know, you have to you own the blue line. You know the blue lines are yours. You know, uh, you know, protect on exits, and um, you know, the, you know the, all your entries have to be carried. And man, Brindamore has this team playing almost this ideal combination of, you know, if you're going to challenge us at the blue line, we're going to dump it in, and we're going to retrieve it. Like last time I checked, they were the number one dump-in team, the number one retrieval team. Like I think that's where this this game is evolving anyway, which is just, you know, not so much stick to what the numbers say or stick to what your old school feel is, but more just react to what's there, mm-hmm. which bleeds into the other conversation, which is, are we evolving then? And maybe we're seeing the lead with Carolina on this one of positionless hockey. We've talked about this for so long. Yeah, you line up this way at the, at the draw, but then after that, like I don't care what position you play, you're first in the zone, you're the F1 and then there's the F2 and the f etc. et cetera. Like I, I think the game is evolving towards that. Anyhow, and I just think that a team like the Carolina, Carolina Hurricanes are probably, you know, they're, they're the they're the ones that are leading the band and banging the drum more than anything
0: else. Well, the other thing that strikes mm-hmm. me about Carolina, Jeff, is okay, choose the way you're going to play, and then you got to make sure everyone that you're acquiring fits into that system. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily just about the most talented players, but it's about finding guys who can match that identity that your organization is setting. And you know, mm-hmm. I look at the Canucks. And I think you could make the argument that they've kind of done the opposite, where there's lots of talent, but they don't all necessarily fit together in a coherent identity. And, you know, of course, we've heard Jim Rutherford's thoughts about the lack of structure and all that. But that's the other lesson I would take from Carolina, is that commit to the way you're going to play and then make all yeah. of your decisions flowing from that commitment.
4: You know, that, that's interesting because one of the other things, and you see this in the way that they draft and the way that they trade for players as well and who they bring into the organization you know, there's a there's a strong belief, it seems, in Carolina of we're going to get highly skilled players, but not just players who have skill for skill's sake, but we want players that are able to adapt to different situations. And I really think that that's why they've stuck with a player like Martin Natchez. You know, Martin Natchez had you know a, a struggle to kick off the, the career. That's you know, that's not exactly a secret. And I think that one of the one of the reasons they've stuck with a player like that, and I think it's the reason why a player like Sebastian Aho or a player like Teuvo Teravainen uh, is able to succeed there, is because they're able not only the skill, but they're able to adapt to a lot of different situations. Like how many times have you seen a player transfer and go like, "Wow, this guy's loaded with skill, but he just doesn't fit there."
2: Mm.
4: You know, he, Carolina has a premium certainly on skill, but also adaptability. That I think other teams should probably, you know, probably pay, pay more attention to because even though they haven't had, you know, elite level Stanley Cup success, I really do think that the way the game is played right now, uh, that is one of the formulas for having
1: success. Yeah, and and Natchez is a perfect example where he was the guy who I kept watching and saying that guy is a round, uh, round peg in a square hole here, and yet this season,
4: it looks a lot
1: better. <laughs> they figured that one out, so, uh- huh?
4: They, they really did. You know, there's a, there's a story. I don't know if I've ever told this one before. You know, there was, you know, I remember that draft specifically. Going into that one, mm. uh, as I've heard from people uh, elsewhere, that was the player that the Buffalo Sabres, all well, their scouting staff, wanted. And a lot of the pe- people in the Buffalo Sabres organization had signed off on. And then it's the audible at the table, and the the, the manager and the AGM decided to go with Casey Middlestat instead. Right. and it didn't look great early for the Carolina Hurricanes, but to the previous point, you know, you hang with your guy, you stick with your guy, and all of a sudden, Martin Natchez looks like a much different and much more dangerous player. Like, these things have happened before, Transfer, You know this intimately, but things get changed at the draft table. It doesn't matter what you agree on Thursday night. Uh, come Friday evening at the draft, things can, can kind of change, um, and I think Martin Natus is probably the, the most recent and best example of that.
1: I just want I just want to tip you off. The next time you have Jason Bukola on. Uh, it's not my story yes. to tell. So, but the next time you okay. have Jason Bukola on, ask him. Ask him how mad he was in the second round in 2017. Just ask him. Just ask him. He'll know what I'm talking about. Was that Bjorkstrom? No, no, no. The the sorry, 2017. No, that was in Chicago. That was Hepo Niemi. But just ask oh, him. Just current. Yeah, Alexi
4: yeah. Hepeniemi from Swifty. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Look, so, look
1: up who went one pick ahead of him, and you'll uh, you'll have a good idea. But uh, but ask him; it's his story to tell.
4: Okay. I'll now. Did you hear him talk about how uh, the cats had Alex Barkoff at number one?
1: No, but I'm, I'm not. I'm not shocked.
4: Like that's how that's how. Because I know a lot of people. I shouldn't say a lot. I'm pretty sure that a lot of people were surprised in New Jersey when Florida when Dale Talon went up there and said Alexander Barkoff over Seth Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, who ended up going four, of course, as we know. But still, I think that was there. Him and Nathan McKinnon were considered one, two. But, you know, Book says that, uh, that uh, the Panthers were committed from from the hop, that uh, had they had the, the number one pick, they're taking Alexander Barkov over Nathan McKinnon a pick
0: see this is uh this is how we're going to keep you coming back on the show jeff we're giving you interview oh, dude, questions this cat, ideas
4: this is catnip for me and drancer trust <laughs> me like, this, is, this is all day stuff
0: <laughs> we're giving you tips for your next show uh, in conversation with jeff Merrick here on Canucks talk and i, I do want to chat a little bit about uh everything happening around the Canucks right now jeff because as you know as you cover on, on your show and on your podcast there's always oh, something else always it's something a, else
4: how, okay and, and How many times have I started, like, the the Merrick show with a clip from from Bruce Boudreau? Oh, man. Or from Jim Motherfrey. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Well, speak. Like, if you cheer cheer for players and cheer for storyline, Vancouver's handing it to everybody this year. It's been great. Speaking of
1: Boudreau, okay, it's weird for me a little bit because I'm so used to being at the rink on a game day, right? And right now, the game's in San Jose. I'm in studio. And so we play this live clip from Boudreau, and immediately my spider sense starts tingling and I'm reacting in real time, like live on air, the way that I would be at the rink where I'm like writing in my notebook, like, you know, pick over this rock, see what, what crawls out. So I want to set this up for you. Yeah. And then I want to play you this clip and, okay. and, and I want you to, you know, we'll show the audience how the sausage gets made. You let me know if you're my <laughs> editor, what, what, what yeah. would you say to my hunch here? So the Canucks acquired okay. Jack Studnica from the Boston Bruins. Yep. He played yep. one game at center. One game at center, and then immediately went to fourth-line wing, got hurt for a bit, came back in the lineup. Canucks have been rolling with Sheldon Drys as a, yeah. as a center between, you know, Besser and Garland, Besser and Kuzmenko, like a skilled line with Sheldon Drys on it. Today, all of a sudden, off on the back of a win, Stadnika is back at center. Bruce Boudreaux was asked about it off the hop, and this is one where you know, in, or at least I think, I know – That there's more to this story than than what meets the eye. I want to roll the clip and then get your reaction to it. Okay. Let's roll
2: that. in the middle this morning.
3: Yeah. Well, he's a natural centerman, and we have to give him reps at it to to get better. You know. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. What
2: are you hoping to see from him? Because he does he does move well.
3: Well, you know, he sneakily gets you um, chances. I mean, uh, before he got hurt, you know, I mean. He'd scored a goal, and then his first game back, he uh, um, had that good opportunity that the goal called back because he made a good offensive play. He made a good offensive play for the, the goal last game. So, I mean, the, the, the book on him is he's, he's got an offensive mind, and he just uh, hasn't really had the opportunity to do it uh, on a regular basis since
1: junior do you think that's a coaching decision Bruce is relishing making, <laughs> Jeff? I was
4: just going to say, so I'm saying, okay, so what what what, what strands are going to come at me with here? So it might be a combination of, so that was the Michael DiPietro trade. Both players have the same agent in Darren Ferris. Right. What was the nature of the conversation uh, with Ferris and the Vancouver Canucks when the trade was consummated? Like, I, I'm trying to, like, like it doesn't, like, he's not... He's not, not excited thing. about it. It's it's a really bad poker face from Bruce Boudreau. Right, he's not he's not putting the lipstick on this one and smiling for the sake like, No, this this sounds very much. Again, I don't know, but if you say, "Hey, give me a talk radio answer right now," yep. Uh, the t- the talk radio answer is, yeah, that's it. Doesn't sound <laughs> like a decision by the coach. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> right very, very that was good. that was i i just want to yeah. i just want to explain to like i have this reaction in real time i'm sure everyone's like drance is just being negative but i like to bring in the objective mm. guy with the league-wide angle uh yeah. the, and be like yeah no, that makes sense to me too <laughs> that's
4: it, it I, it's just you know i yeah. like, like it wasn't the biggest deal in the world of course no but it was it, it was it was a deal and when these things you know, and we know that you know how how DiPietro had you know uh, said, "Listen, if there's no if there's no plan for me here, I'd like I'd like to move on." And right. um, I would imagine that you know in association with Cortex, um, they work to make that happen um, for the Vancouver Canucks. And normally in these types should sessions, they normally sometimes in these certain types of situations, um, not that necessarily players get promised you know guaranteed ice time, but at least a look or a shot something again, mm-hmm. I, this is just this is just my thought. This isn't me, of course, based on it and any type of evidence. This is my belief. You know, sometimes things get discussed like, hey, and it wouldn't be past you know an agent to call and say, hey, when, when's my guy getting uh, getting his shot as per our conversation. Speaking of
0: the league-wide perspective on, on things, Merrick, um, obviously the big story over the weekend around the Canucks was the Brock Besser situation, yep. and you know, I I, j- I just think about. How Brock Besser is viewed in Vancouver, and I think we probably tend to view the highs of his career, you know, more highly than a lot of people around the league and maybe the lows of his career more lowly than a lot of people around the league. What's your sense of how the NHL as a whole views Brock Besser, the player at this stage of his career?
4: I think there's a lot of sympathy for Brock Besser, first of all, you know, as someone that's gone through, you know, when I was, when I was young, when I was 16, I lost a parent. um, And I, you know, you look at, you look at studies that have been done with athletes who have lost um, significant family members or close family members, Mm. you know, initially there's a performance spike and then there's a big drop right, right away a big emotional drop. So, when it comes to players that have, and this has been like this has been a drawn out process too, which you know I went through the same thing, and that I, you know, given given the choice, you, you want it to be sudden for your own for your own sense of healing. Um, but players that have gone through this, I cut a lot of flack to. and I think reasonable people do the same thing. I don't think anyone looks at Brock Besser this year and says that's Brock Besser. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that if someone is able to is able to. Then Berkey always says, "There's no more pirates. No one's stealing players anymore." Jeff, stop thinking we're all pirates. Um, but if someone is able to do a deal for, for Brock Besser now at a depressed price, I think they're they have the potential to to get a real bargain here and get a real home run. Specifically, if you're a team that's in need of help on your power play, and that's that's the first thing that I think of. If you're a team that's looking for a shot like a jolt for your power play, that that might be a really smart phone call to make it's to, the, to the Vancouver Canucks and Jim Motherford. I think that, you know, I, I have a hard time believing that this, this drop in performance is the real Brock Besser. I look at, and I think a lot of people do say, like, look, look, this guy's gone through a ton of pain in his life. And to pretend that that's not going to affect you on the, on, on the ice, I think, is falling.
1: Jeff, the other big discussion point in Vancouver concerns another Ben Hankinson client in Luke Shen, an expiring guy. Is this Canucks team in your mind positioned to a point where they could prioritize the character of a depth player ahead of, you know, making sure to liquidate that asset at the deadline should this season continue to sort of unfold listlessly the way the first 26 games have? Yeah
4: so here's the question can you get a first round pick for Luke Shen
1: I don't think so i think I think you're looking at a third right second or third maybe a second I think second
4: is in play yeah and I don't
1: know things man. Get,
4: things, I know I know Listen, I know I understand it but you know how goofy things get around trade deadlines
1: especially with right-handed defensemen who have cup rings in their past who, right
4: who have like it, while it may not make sense uh, us having this conversation right now when there are jobs on the line and when there are you know demanding owners that are looking to recoup covid losses with playoff revenue etc i don't know man things things can get goofy and all it take all it's going to take is a couple of different teams like it's not as if this isn't with some type of historical precedent too like we've seen plenty of defensive that we've looked at and said how did you get a first round pick like and, and the other thing is you know, now that this, you know, now that there is more physicality involved in the game, and we're seeing it on a nightly basis. Like this game is this game is changing. It's still highly skilled. Now physicality is starting to creep back into the game. You know, Luke Shen has always brought that skill set, and how much do other teams value that skill set? How much do teams value that skill set for the playoffs specifically? Mm. I don't know. Like, I I don't think it's I I don't think it's a first rounder. But I, there's a real big part of me that wouldn't be surprised because things can get good. You have injuries to your backhand and playoff aspirations and that skill set, to your point, right-hand shot. I don't know, man. That's, again, that's if you, if you make the decision that we're going to do some type of rebuild or however you want to describe it. Then I think you, 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 you look to do the deal and say to yourself, we can probably get a second. I wonder if we can get it first. Wow! As 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 bizarre as that sounds, and no. I get it. Like I'm, it, I'm, saying it's 850k, like, right, Merrick? What are you saying? Like it's yeah, it's 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 it's, it's no money. It's a very specific skill set. It's one that's valued. It's a position that's valued. It's a shot that's valued. Everything has up to me it's a, It that says they might be able to. Who knows? Things get weird around deadlines.
0: <laughs> Jeff, we got to run but we really appreciate the time. Uh, hopefully the Canucks keep giving you clips to use off the top of your show and we'll, we'll talk again soon.
4: <laughs> it's good it's a gift that gives to all of us. Yes. Right? It's not, just, yes. It's not just me. We all we all dying at this trough.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, Jeff.
4: All right, thanks Jamie. Thanks, Chancellor.
0: That is Jeff Merrick, of course, the host of the Jeff Merrick show and the 32 Thoughts podcast and on Hockey Night in Canada, we're up against it. We got to go. The PDO cast is up next here on Sportsnet 650.